we search for the same answers But you're asking the wrong questions Ain't it true? You're wondering why bad things Only happen to other people on the Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children, indeed of all ages. It's me, it's Tom the Blowfish Herd, being ably supported as always, nay led often, by the fantabulous, the amazing, the glamorous, the the one and the only, because I have checked, Come on. Miss Lizzie Daly. Hello everybody. Uh, that, was, that was the big intro, that's what you Ta-da. need. Yeah, and, and she's wearing a beautiful sequins, shiny dress, it just looks okay. like she's wearing jeans and a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to Wake Up and Smell the Coffee podcast, where we bring you the tastiest chunks of the current climate, not just outside with weather, but indoors in your life when it comes to all things environmental in the world. Speaking of climate, though, we're going for the big one today, aren't we? We are, and we've actually chosen a bit of a different title. I like that we haven't gone for climate change. Everyone refers to climate change. But can we really say, this is a real question, can we really say climate change anymore? It's often used, it's the main phrase everyone goes to. Everyone knows what we're talking about when we refer to climate change. But right now, it's kind of like we're in more of a climate crisis. That is the buzzword, isn't it? Climate climate crisis. Say that five times fast. Yeah. It's very difficult. Climate crisis, climate crisis. Never mind. They're twice, not <laughs> even that. But it, it has evolved, hasn't it? We started off with global warming and, mm. you know, then it's the effects of climate change, climate crisis. And they all mean the same thing. We're talking about shifting the environment that we live in, that the world is used to. Because we all need to be very well aware the Earth has been through many different climates in its time. And we're talking about moving from the climate that can support us into a climate that cannot support us. Because I think more than anything else, I think climate crisis, as a, a phrase, a term, however you want to call it, I think it's the first time that term has really identified the true problem of global warming, climate change, blah, 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 which is not oh, you know, we're going to lose the panda. Oh, no, we're going, we're going to lose the tiger. We're going to lose us. Absolutely. And, and I think you and I have always kind of been aware of this as, you know, as biologists, zoologists, you know, all the things that we do, we understand the connections. But I think somehow when it was global warming and, you know, the polar bear, we're losing the polar bear because the ice cream, and it's global warming and, oh, and, you know, obviously things like the orangutans made the appearance, all these picture postcard animals, people have always remained slightly disassociated when actually the whole time we've been saying, look, you need to save them, save yourself. Absolutely. But this is the one that says enough. If we don't do something, we're in trouble. Humans are in trouble. Yeah, sure. And I completely agree. It's totally fitting to our attitudes towards this issue. Climate change has, and we know this through science and, and research. It, science? It has. <laughs> our scientists have come together. But it has. Climate change has been and gone. It is gone. Um, we are now in this state where finally... We're finally addressing this state of climate breakdown, climate crisis. And we, both you and I, have seen this. And it, later on, we will talk a little bit about changes in how we approach our, uh, how we approach this issue and how our attitudes towards climate 
this climate crisis has changed because we have seen big shifts. We've seen, of course, everyone has seen in the news this international movement of Extinction Rebellion. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Um, But let's kind of get down into the nitty gritty of climate can we are we saying climate change or should we just get rid of that climate crisis we we know what we're talking about climate change climate crisis the thing is it it covers i i think it covers so much that this is almost why it's been a problem for people to take it up because you know if if we take you and i right now on a very kind of black and white level i'm wet and you're dry absolutely okay. oh how rude <laughs> lizzie come on <laughs> Clearly in the gutter. Come on. Now, uh, the the oceans, the the way that they're affected by climate change, we just use what's comfortable. The, the way that the oceans, their ecosystems changing, the way that the land's ecosystems are changing. It's huge. It's complex. It's massive. Things are happening that if that that are they're flagged over and they're kind of whitewashed with the term climate change, even climate crisis. You know, and I think one of the big problems is just understanding what really is it. Mm. Anyone can say it, but what really is it? I mean, in um, in terms of the ocean, I mean, you could do hours on how it affects it. But the way that the, the bottom line is always the same, isn't it? It has been too much CO2, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think we can all agree on that. Too much CO2. And the temperature has risen faster than is natural for the the harmonics of the Earth. And certainly in the oceans, that increase in temperature has changed the way that species live in different places. We've seen invasions of species where they've turned up where they shouldn't. And sometimes this is, oh, yeah, who cares? What what a problem. For example, the bluefin tuna that you see off Cornwall, completely insane. Mm. But there are bad things happening in those invasions as well like Irukandji jellyfish which are terrible terrible probably the worst sting in the ocean they're now moving into areas where they've never been before uh, you've then got things like coral bleaching having you know this huge effect and i think people are aware coral bleaching yes we know that but again that's under the climate change umbrella um the the ice melt, the sea level rise, that's been the big one, hasn't it? The one that's been going on for, you know, a long, long time. But probably the the two ones I think people don't know when it comes to the oceans and climate change in the oceans. One thing that the climate change deniers love to say was, oh, well, you know, if, if we've had this big increase in CO2, where is it? Where is it? It's like, <laughs> It's in the ocean sunshine because carbon dioxide naturally dissolves into the oceans and it's made the oceans acidic. And this is, I love this fact. You will know this fact because you are just, well, you're Lizzie Daly. <laughs> I mean, you, you wear that superhero outfit with the cape. Lizzie Daly to the rescue. Made of sequins. Oh, you've just fabulous. <laughs> but as CO2 has gone into the oceans, been... You know, They're called uh, in- carbon sinks, is that right? Uh, the ocean. Well, the carbon sink is a massive ocean, and that was something I was just going to pop onto as well because this has the double effect. The CO two's gone into the ocean, just like the way that CO 2s in a bottle of Coke or other black soft drinks are available, or even clear soft drinks, whatever. You've got that carbon dioxide in there. Okay, so it goes into the ocean, and it's made the oceans more acidic. Now, on the pH scale, they've gone from eight point two to eight point one, and for most people, they'll be like. Pfft. What difference is that? Well, due to the maths of the pH scale, going from uh, an alkalinity of 8.2 to 8.1 is actually an increase in acidity by 30%. And it's done that in 150 years. Yeah, it's just, yeah. So for 35 million years, 
the oceans were at 8.2. And the past 150, 100, 150, 200, if you want to mm. be, you know, if you really want to go to the outliers, it's increased in acidity by 30%. That is massive. Yeah. That's massive. That's where that carbon dioxide's got to. And when you talk about the carbon sinks, you get the double whammy because this increase in acidity. It causes uh, the calcium carbonate shells of little creatures, you know, you have crustaceans and your mollusks and stuff. They don't form as well. Those animals don't live as well. And those animals are vital for taking carbon that's being formed at the surface in, in phytoplankton, eating it, taking it down into the deep ocean to, as you very well say, become a carbon sink. Yeah. So it's the double whammy of removing those animals, or certainly limiting those animals, hamstringing them, Mm. when they're doing a job that we need now more than we did before. Mm. It's very, very tricky. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the ocean, we, we talk so much, well, outside and inside of this podcast, we both have a real passion for the ocean and absolutely have an affinity towards it. But cor- coral reefs, for me, I, I recently read this fact and it just it gives me this real sense of just oh, desperation about coral reefs, uh, the projected decline of coral reefs to be about a further 70 to 90% at 1.5 degrees Celsius. And we're at one now, which is considered what, a critical threshold. Mm. We're fast. And it's, as you say, this fast increase in all these processes, massively speeding up over the past 100 years or so. And you just think, how are we not only losing it but losing it at such a a rapid rate all of these impacts acidification warming of these environments um another one i'm going to bring it back to my seabirds because when have i not on this podcast you say what you like (laughs) about lizzie daly but oh she loves a guillemot oh and a gannet oh you should see her when she gets a skewer dear oh dear oh dear um (laughs) <laughs> thrown me. I was I was hoping for a Lizzie Daly snore. So you get one. <laughs> it'll come. It'll, it'll come. Of course it'll it come. will. <laughs> but um, uh, um, it's it's one. It's really interesting. A really interesting um effect of climate change is not only this increasing temperature, but is this increase in storms, summer mm. storms, and you think about you know my good old guillemots and they're they're on these steep cliffs and at the wrong time of year they're getting nailed by these huge huge storms that are becoming more frequent more violent and they are just absolutely smashing not only adult seabirds but all the eggs and everything else and that important breeding window that all these seabirds come into land to to to, yeah to continue their everything on and it's just getting absolutely wiped out by these massive storms i just thought it was it was quite a hard one to swallow. Mm. And and again there, without... And coming back to what we said at the start, climate crisis, climate change, whatever, it's, it's too loose a term because it doesn't explain the minutiae. When you're talking about seabirds, you think, oh, you know, what what seabirds got to do with me? You know, other than a seagull nicking me chips, what's a seabird got to do with me? Those seabirds going out there, eating those fish, usually small fish because most seabirds aren't the size of... Boeing 747s. So they're taking small fish, which are themselves very important predators on, again, the phytoplankton, the things that are sucking in the carbon dioxide. That's what we need. These seabirds are then taking that, eating it, digesting it, and flying away to land and dropping this very, very rich guano, you know, which has got carbon encased in it, which mm. isn't now in the atmosphere anymore, which is now being used to grow plants, which, guess what, is going to chew down more carbon. And the same thing goes for coral reefs. You know, 
you and I have immediately fallen back into it talking about these worlds that we love so much because we do and we care. But it's that extra add-on of, well, look, if we lose a coral reef, then as far as a human's concerned, you lose a coral reef, coral reefs provide food for people. But let's make it more immediate, take it back to your storms. Coral reefs act as incredible storm blockers. And when that horrible, terrible tsunami happened, uh, which hit all of Southeast Asia now, it'd be quite a few years ago now, what was it, 2000 and... Yeah. Six or seven, it was It was a long time ago, it devastated Southeast Asia. The coastal communities, who, let's face it, are the poorest, mm. the coastal communities with the most complete mangrove and reef, they were the ones that hit the least. Mm. You know, so that's why, again, you know, it's not just saying, oh, we need to save the corals because they're pretty. Mm. No, we need to save the corals because of the job that they do. And I think one thing that really goes unnoticed, outside, out of mind, is the deep ocean. So the deep ocean, 90% of the 70%, I hate to saying that, it really annoys me. 70% of the earth is water, 90% of that 70%, 90% of that 70% of water, which is the earth, is over a mile deep. It's classified as deep ocean. It is, as far as planet earth is concerned, I did air quotes there, by the way, listeners. You didn't see it, but they, they were good air quotes, right? They were solid. Yeah, because of planet earth. Yeah, because I always think planet wet, personally. But um, the this huge huge ecosystem the largest on this planet Mm. and people don't realize how important that ecosystem is to our climate it sucks in hot air it sucks in oxygen it actively moves water and in in a way it actively moves weather around the globe the whole reason why we get the mild winters that we do and the nice summers that we do or at least we used to seemingly is because of the Gulf Stream, which is affected by the way that the currents move across the oceans, the way that the weather then interacts with those currents. If we knacker, and that is a technical term, if we knacker that deep ocean circulation, not only will you have the biggest environment on the planet in a state of low oxygen or no oxygen, so hypoxia, which will kill a huge amount of life, which is important to, again, carbon sequestration, get that carbon down bottom of the ocean. Not only will you knacker all of that, the oceans will become, I mean, this is a bit broad strokes, but a mill pond. And so weather won't move like it needs to. And that's going to cause huge effects to humans, to us. We're the ones suffering from it. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of change in... uh changing timings of those events, those seasonal events, is going to have a knock-on effect and kind of like have a million different ecological mistakes, if you like, because everything's going to be just off, Yeah, you know? Everything. Us, everything, all the wildlife. Um, uh, speaking of coral reefs, briefly, and then we're going to move on to terrestrial, but um, speaking of coral reefs, uh, back earlier in the year, I went to very lucky to see the Mesoamerican Barrier Reef, second largest barrier reef in the world. Uh, And it was an incredible place. And you mentioned earlier about the invaders. It was just covered in lionfish. It was, I mean, we've spoken about this before. Lionfish are the big bad wolves of the invasion Mm. world of our coral reefs. And it was just absolutely covered in them. Mm. I couldn't couldn't believe it. Um, How much of that is linked to climate change? Or is that just a mistaken release which has just gone out of control? Well, I think the. I, I don't think we can particularly pin uh, this big bad wolf straight on climate change. No one really knows why the lionfish have got there. The, there's a beautiful local. Uh, the local folklore says that they got there because there was um, 
I think it was a hurricane at Florida Aquarium. And, yeah, and they escaped. And then there's people that have released them. And one thing or another, you know, they've got their ballast water coming over, all that kind of jazz. And... At, Dear listeners, for those of you that are thinking, well, what's wrong with uh, what's wrong with lionfish? I don't know why you're all cockneys today, but you clearly are. <laughs> what's wrong with lionfish, mate? What's wrong with lionfish? The thing about lionfish is they will eat literally everything that gets in front of them. Absolutely. Okay? They yeah. will eat everything. Now, in the Indo-Pacific, they are native to the Indo-Pacific, and loads of things will eat them, preferably sharks. Sharks love eating lionfish, so there is balance. And because lionfish don't eat all the other little fish, lots of nice balance. Now, where Lizzie and I have both been in the Caribbean, the Bahamas and the reefs there... Nothing eats the lionfish. They don't recognise lionfish as prey. So the lionfish are eating all the fishes which are responsible for keeping the reefs healthy. And then, and I think this is where climate change comes in, as reefs, coral reefs lose their tangs, their cleaning fish, the fish that keep the coral clean of algae, algae overruns the coral and grows faster and swamps it, like weeds growing in your prize vegetable patch. But if you increase the temperatures, if you increase the frequency of storms and all these other things that we've seen because of climate change, climate crisis, global warming, whatever you want to call it, then you just put more and more pressure back on the coral saying, look, you've got a hard job as it is. And now we've made it 20 times harder. But look, tell me, Mr. Wet himself, come on. I want to know now because, you know, in my head... I do know stuff about land. I'm sure I do. It's where there isn't water. But <laughs> in my head, you know... I hope so. Well, I hope so. I understand things like uh, desertification and deforestation. But really, you know, I I can imagine them in my head. But I'm so focused on, on the ocean, usually in my game. And I know that you've done some, well, face-to-face stuff with people that are really on the very true cutting edge of climate change. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the depths of Kenya. Um, I'm going there later this week, actually. And uh, in preparation for that, I had a call with the NGO Space for Giants from out there. And I said, you know, how has your year been? How how dry has it been? Um, because for those who may not have caught a, a, one of our earlier podcasts, I've already mentioned that um, I've done a lot with uh, human and elephant conflict in Kenya. And to give you a bit of background on that, Elephants in the dry season, there's just simply not enough food, not enough resources. So they're pushed into people's crops, people's vegetable patches, people's gardens. And what happens is that when it gets particularly dry, um, an increasing human population massively overlaps with those elephants that are there. The elephants are trying to eat the crops and the people are trying to survive. So you have direct conflict. Last year, they had an extremely dry season, more dry than when I was there. Um, last January, so last summer. And as we know, you are very dry. Very dry. Very dry. And you're very wet. Well, of course. (laughs) Of course I am. Do continue. Oh, dear. (laughs) And um, basically, from speaking to them, the NGO, they were telling me that it has been the, the driest season for quite a while and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. And this increase in in dryness is all because of climate change, a direct effect on, when you think about it, okay, overlapping habitats, perhaps that's to do with habitat loss more specifically as opposed to climate crisis climate change it's all linked right but there is a direct effect of climate change having more dry seasons for longer periods of time and these people and elephants that are coming into direct conflict and of course that's all linked with changes in land use uh, changes in in land management and in Lycipia where I am 
where I'm going, um, there's a really unusual uh, land use management strategy, which is kind of split between private ranches, um, uh, local conservancies, and then and then farmland. And so you have these elephants. The idea with that is to have these elephants roaming free um, outside of these areas, which are fenced, which would be the people's farms, and the elephants can continue. And then the people are fenced in, so the elephants can't get at those crops. But that's just it's just not happening. And we're seeing as more people are... Uh, encroaching on these habitats we're seeing more and more of this conflict so for me I, I that's really interesting and kind of keeping in with a theme of um africa uh, if you push down to south africa i was recently reading this article so interesting about the impact of climate change direct impact on cheetahs similar again um this increasing in temperature it's getting warmer and not only are increasing temperatures uh, impacting their diet because there's less food around as a result of less vegetation around as you know a lot of their food is ungulates that are poking up through the vegetation there's less of this food for them so there's less ungulates and less cheetahs uh, ungulates be the hamburgers on legs also oh, known as on. antelope ladies and gentlemen come on <laughs> some people crying now into the podcast <laughs> but interestingly this isn't the only impact so they've also affected their ability to reproduce so male cheetahs have actually shown lower testosterone levels and a sperm count actually almost 10 times lower than your average house cat as a result of this increase in temperature, which I thought was just phenomenal research. Really interesting. Then again, uh, we're quite rightly there, highlighting a problem of climate change directly affecting uh, an animal. And dear listener, you may be thinking, well, where, where, does, where do I fit into it? The, the way that you fit into that, the way that people fit into that is that historically and indeed empirically, once you start losing top predators from any ecosystem, then the animals that they prey on, which again, let's keep things basic, they tend to be herbivorous, they tend to be you know, eating uh, grasses and stuff, they bloom out of control and suddenly you've got a, a whole food web that completely breaks down, leave, leading to crops failing, leading to animals breaking into trying to get crops, leading to too many antelope eating too much grass and therefore not enough carbon being taken in. So whenever we talk about one of these animals, one of these ecosystems, just because it's not in your backyard, don't for one minute think that you aren't still some way connected to it. And I mean, one of the wonderful things about looking at biology is, well, I say biology, ecology, the world is seeing all these interconnected lines. But that for me, again, with the climate change, climate crisis, it's getting people to join those dots that you and I do, you know, naturally, because that's what we've always wanted to do and it's how we've been trained and yada, yada, yada. You know, it's getting people to join those dots and just very simply go, oh, well, if that animal doesn't get enough of this and it doesn't get do and da, 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 and they, they do fit. Don't they? You don't need, you know, you can be a doctor. Look at you. And listen, <laughs> me over here sweeping the floors of a weekend. Dear, oh dear. Will you remember me when you're rich and famous? Oh, get out. You're totally right, though. The environment is this web. Everything is connected. It's this nicely fitting ecological web which connects a variety of things. We can no longer think of this as an isolated event. Multiple drivers involving all of us, which segues nicely onto us as humans and our attitudes towards conservation because um can i just ask did you see the walrus scene on our planet does netflix new series it's all about some of the conservation issues our planet is facing narrated by david attenborough big netflix series did you see that scene at all uh 
I this sounds really pathetic, but this is a um, uh, an insight into my life for all of you. For you, Lizzie first, and Tell for everyone me. else that's listening. Tell us your woes. <laughs> Well, it all started when I was born, and uh, I was very warm and then very cold. It was a terrible thing. Uh, now, I I am terrible for programmes like uh, Blackfish. Um, the, terrible um, in what way? Well, uh, that I don't watch them because I know the horror, and I just don't want to see it. Mm. You know, I'm aware of it, and I get so... Personally, I get so very passionate and very obsessed about it, I lose objectivity as a scientist. So I don't, I, I purposely don't watch those things because I can't, I can't deal with the raw emotion that I feel watching it. So I'm aware of the walrus scene. I'm aware of, yeah. I believe that they, they, because they have terrible eyesight anyway. They're, they're, you know, they're hulking, great, useless things, much like me. And um, I, I believe I make light of it, but I believe that they, they hear the sea yeah. and they just go straight towards it, and in doing so, they will actually plummet to their doom. Yeah. So you know, off cliffs and ledges and such. Yeah, absolutely. So, for, so for those of you who have or haven't seen it, bit of background. Uh, there's a, um, it kind of goes. Back back at the end of the programme, it kind of shows you the behind the scenes of what happens. All these walrus are coming in in their thousands, thousands and thousands stacked up on land. Uh, Where there would normally be sea ice as well. Well, well, yeah, there is no more sea ice. So they've come to this land in such bigger numbers than is possibly natural. They're piling on top of one another. And that in itself is really distressing to see. But as they're moving up these huge cliffs, as you said, uh, to try and get more space, to try and occupy any land that they can, they then are then going out back out to sea to feed. And yeah, as you said, they are plummeting, plummeting to their death. And I thought it was very good that it was included in it, but um, it was particularly raw. You're, you're totally right. It is one of the most raw scenes I've ever seen mm. for direct evidence of climate change. Um yeah, and, 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 and that really caught the media by storm. And we're seeing in the media now more than ever the words climate change, the words climate crisis in the media. Now, let's talk about Extinction Rebellion. Great band. Love their first two albums. Okay, really good. what's your favourite song? <laughs> uh, Don't Cry For Me carbon producer <laughs> the truth brilliant. is i never <laughs> needed you okay. i'll walk to the Back bus to stop i'll take my segway i'm not going to do the rest have you genuinely written that song can no. you write that song please I, I, potentially potentially <laughs> yes extinction rebellion yes so the question is and this really okay let me tell you why i went to the extinction rebellion protest in london i could have gone to one in cardiff i could have gone to one in bristol i wanted to show my support for it everyone who's listening i hope has heard of Extinction Rebellion, for those who don't know. It's a socio-political protest and movement, um, non-violent, to try and get the attention of the government to help address issues of climate change, in a nutshell. And I saw in the media, over and over and over again, Extinction Rebellion is getting in the way of everyone's day-to-day lives, and it's causing a massive fuss. So I decided, I wanted to go support it, but I wanted to go to the place where it would cause the most disruption if it was to cause any to see what it was like i got from paddington station to oxford circus in about seven minutes on the tube no disruption once i got to oxford circus i was stood there and everyone in london were going about their day outside of this small circle of people now granted i was there for only one afternoon and i don't know what impact that directly had on others living in london in their day-to-day and for me 
I, I, th- I thought that was such an important thing for me because up until that point, I'd been told, oh, Accenture Rebellion, they're just getting in the way of everyone's lives. And I thought, absolute rubbish. After going and seeing, it is not true. And the media is grabbing on to the wrong part of this message, which is there are bigger, more important issues that we need to put in everyone's faces. And it's doing that. This protest is doing that. I got it off my chest. Oh, there we are. <laughs> I mean, she's, she's hulked out, ladies and gentlemen, hulked out. I feel better now. Um, you've hit multiple nails on the head there. And I think also you've highlighted a problem that I myself feel acutely aware of. So, I mean, straight out the bat, cards on the table, Extinction Rebellion, what they're passionate about, what they're driving for, what they want. I'm 100% behind. Of course I am. They're people that want better and for all of us because they're saying, look, they're the, again, they're, I think they're one of the first people to say, it's you that's going to die. You know, it's you as a human, you're going to die. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm absolutely 100% behind that. The, the point where I start losing, uh, the point where I start uh, hesitating and I start looking for my own natural kind of grey area is the way that this that we are conveying the message. And that has to take into account the way that the media wants to convey the message. And so I feel personally that Extinction Rebellion need to just be so watertight, so bulletproof, so perfect in what they do that the media has no option but to report on the good. And, and and don't give them an inch of bad because the thing is that they will run with that. Now, you know, taking a recently Extinction Rebellion announced that they were going to do this drone protest at Heathrow. And I read about that. Yeah. Now, Has that happened? Well, we'll wait and see because myself, you know, the, my, my circle of friends, the people that I work with, people like you, everyone around me who is a part of my life all believe like I believe. They're all trying to make the earth a bit better. You know, we are the converted. You know, join us. We're the converted. Hello, welcome. Hello. But every one of them, including people who, you know, hold seats at universities have gone, uh, regarding this drone protest, gone, no, this is too far. This is too far. This is too dangerous. This isn't This isn't going to make friends. And I, I've been trying to process it in my head a lot. And I get it. I absolutely get it why they're trying to do it we you know car- carbon output from planes is enormous mm. no one's arguing that we agree with that but the and i think the thing that has been mentioned that i'll probably say again just for the ease of speaking about it is that the people that are really going to suffer here are people who really don't have a horse in this race you know they are people who have said yes i i'm taking a plane to go on holiday i myself earlier this year went to ibiza very very quickly on a plane it was a very quick flight, you see. <laughs> they're, oh. they're back in two minutes. Um, you, you're about to go to Kenya. You know, whether you like it or not, planes have a role in our society beyond the lifestyles of the rich and famous. So I don't believe that trying, or I don't believe that affecting the people who are the con- the unconverted that we can get on our side i don't think affecting them on something so pure as a holiday which in society it's like it's the thing it's why you do your work i think it's a dangerous dangerous game and a, a, fr- a friend of mine is actually an airline pilot and i asked him about the drones 
And he said, the thing is, and you'll probably be able to agree with me on this as well, because, I mean, when I've been out um, doing work and filming and stuff, I've worked with drone operators who are the best in the business. Yeah. And even they say that while they're piloting the drones, occasionally it'll just go mad and just go somewhere. Yeah. You know, yeah, it happens. Yeah. And um, my mate Charlie said to me, he just said, the thing about these drones is that if one of them goes mad and does make contact with a plane... It's going to be catastrophic. Yeah. It's going to be worse than you know a, a bomb going off because of everything. So chance of that happening very very slim. But should we really be taking that chance? Because the minute that we lose those people, those people that couldn't go to Mallorca or Palma or hell, just want to go to, I, I don't even care. It doesn't matter. Those people. As soon as we lose those people, I don't think we'll ever get them back. That's the worry. And I thought Extinction Rebellion in Bristol the other day, and we'll actually come on to this in a, a later podcast as well, ladies and gentlemen, I think they had uh, the better end of the coin, which was they were talking about um, fashion. Yeah. And so they did a sit-in, much like the one that happened in Piccadilly Where Circus. Where did they sit in? Broadmead. Broadmead um, okay. This is a shopping centre in the middle of Bristol, for those of you that don't know. And it's like all shopping centres, it's heavily pedestrianised. Concrete. Concrete, lots Everywhere. of concrete. So they did a sit-in there. But they didn't stop anyone going about their day. They held uh, talks. They had people coming and talking. They had stalls up where they were doing bring and buy on their clothes. And they were trying to educate people in a positive, lovely way. And for me, that's how I always go about my business. And and, and so that I can support to the hilt mm. because people can come away from there going, you know what, I saw those Extinction Rebellion. Just what you've said to me. I saw those Extinction Rebellion. No, they were all right, actually. Mm. Not, oh, oh, I couldn't go on holiday because... So I just think it's... I understand why. Mm. I understand that they're trying to say, oh, God, come on. But you don't win an argument mm. by shouting louder. I'm going to have to disagree. Ooh, ladies I'm and gentlemen, dis- she's going to shout louder. Go for it. I don't think we've got time for let's just let everybody go about their day and continue as normal. I think the one thing that Extinction Rebellion has done is change the paradigm of what a climate protest is. And what's something that you mentioned earlier I thought was quite interesting. Don't give the media some, a, a an inch because they'll take a mile. A bit of fuel, yeah. right. I think it's been pretty flawless. Extinction Rebellion has been exceptional in the way they've handled themselves, in staying true to what they're standing for. I think the media have just try they've just found a different angle on it and run with it as you say mm. they have they found something else because there is nothing bad to say about any of well there may be the odd story here and there i can't speak for every single person who's been part of it of course but and the one that i went to and i can only speak for myself and the one i went to everybody there acted and behaved impeccably and their attitudes of the people were correct and if the drone thing happens i think Maybe we should do another podcast and talk about that then. Yeah, if <laughs> But this is, for, for me, I just see this a lot. And something that I saw before I actually went was the media creating this these negative stories and making people believe that there is much bigger disruption than there actually mm. is. Um, I think the day after, ironically, I was on a flight after I went to the Extinction Rebellion um, on the Sunday in London. And I, there was a protest at the airport and there wasn't any disruptions or issues there and I'm sure there have been disruptions but the point is for me this is the f- I just look at that protest and I see this is the first time we've actually seen people stop pay attention and address it for what it really is which is an emergency Lizzie uh, you know I fully understand let's fight let's, I'm joking. no no <laughs> I'm but I, I completely understand where you're coming from um you know completely understand where you're coming from 
And I think, you know, fair play to you for saying literally the next day you're on a plane. Um, and, you know, we can bat about the, you know, the... But again, it's like, like you said earlier... I know loads of people that fly everywhere. I, gosh, I fly absolutely mm. for my work. I fly as you do as yeah, well. Yeah, of course. And it's and for pleasure. You and, know. Yeah, right. Yeah, and going that's on it. holiday. And and you're totally right to ignore that as part of everyday life would just be ignorant. Mm. That the decisions that you make in life have to be balanced. You have to invest in carbon offset. We've spoken about all these things before. Mm. You have to make those decisions and those choices. But yeah, I mean, to say, oh, I, do, I don't fly and I'm just, I live in the woods and like <laughs> eat sticks and my drink my own urine would just be silly. Well, no, the last bit's true. But, yeah, um, but, but this beautifully comes on to, I think, again, the what's going to be the real linchpin for clicking over and turning Extinction Rebellion from, you know, a, a, a media buzzword and a movement to actually a way of life. So here we are. We've just talked about the potential for drone disruption. I would assume... And there's no need for us to to get stuck on this, but I would assume that if you went to fly out to Kenya on whenever it is and you couldn't fly because of Extinction Rebellion, you would just fly another day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You're completely entitled to that. But because of that, what I would rather see myself is rather than having this drone protest, which, of course, will, you know, the, the airline companies, oh, yes, they will lose a lot of money that day until it's paid out by their corporate insurers and then they don't lose anything because everyone just gets their flights another day. What I would rather see is exactly what you've touched on to, which is what I'm going to go on to now, is if there were people in the airport handing out flyers saying, look, this is how you can offset. What about thinking about this? You know, when you get home, you could do this, this and this and this. Because then by finding the true balance in their lives that's when we get the bonus. And saying things like, look, seriously, you can't fly this plane with one person on. Not happening. That's finding, for me, that wonderful grey area because, ha, 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 I've got figures and facts. Figures and facts. My concern that uh, was, again, I think it was leached out of Extinction Rebellion, much in the way that you've just said of the media, finding that that chink in the armour and going for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, that's not right, but it is still there. It will still come out into the consciousness is that the last thing that I want, uh, you know, as a guy who lives in his overdraft far too much and lives in, you know, a lovely little house, but it is a little house with a, you know, with a big mortgage and all that kind of stuff that I think everyone else really is in, except for those lucky people towards the top, is I don't want conservationism or environmentalism to become privileged. And and this this is where I've got my figures from. Okay, so... We talk, you know, veganism often goes hand in hand with environmentalism and the, you know, the idea of, certainly here in Bristol, you know, big vegan culture. Huge, yeah. Huge vegan culture, vegan restaurants, all that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, if that's your choice, that's your way of life, absolutely no problems at all. Are you a vegetarian? No, I just don't. I I, I don't eat, I'm seegan, so I refuse to eat anything from the ocean. Yeah. Uh, and I I will only eat a fish if I catch it and kill it immediately myself. Otherwise, I eat terrestrial land animals occasionally. Okay, and uh, you know where eat... it's from. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I, you know, buy meat very rarely, but it's good meat and stuff. We're not going into that right now. But rather, my, my point is that if you want to go vegan, which has had this uh, branding, rightly or wrongly, of saving the world, you know, that's not necessarily true. We know that. The crops that are grown for a lot of vegan products are monocultures. They require a huge amount of water. So it's not necessarily true. And, of course, they are incredibly expensive. Yeah, very, expensive. very, very expensive. So 
it's a big step if you are someone who is you know if you're someone who you maybe you're on lower on the social ladder you've not had the greatest education you've got a family to feed it's going to take a lot for you to spend your five pounds on four vegan sausages than it is to buy a big bag of chicken dippers for your kids. Totally right? agree. And that is where we really need to be aware of because um, I'm just going to use you as an example f- right now because I think this is a really, really great example. So the other day, um, I wasn't stalking you, but you do have a very active Instagram account. Well, so you, you, do ask, you do ask for it. Uh, you popped up to Aberdeen. Yeah. And you quite rightly chose to take the train. Mm. So that train in carbon would have cost you roughly 0.02 tonnes. Yeah. The same flight in carbon would have cost you 0.34 tonnes. Mm-hmm. The limit to which one person can use in a year to offset climate change is 0.6 tonnes. So if you had flown to, uh, you know, And then I got a ferry to Shetland. Yeah. So this was a two-step, two flights, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're, by taking the train then, you got, you you did something really good then. You were active in that moment. But, and I'm not going to read them out, there is a price difference between the train and the plane. The plane is cheaper, okay? Mm. The, taking a car is cheaper. A car would have used 0.3 tonnes as well. So give or take, not that far off the plane. So in that point right there, you said, you know what? I can make my choice and I'm going to make the right choice now. I'm going to do this. Because if you said, oh, no, I'm going to take, you know, car, camel, train and hang glider to Kenya, you'd set off now. You'd get there sometime 2021. Oh, you, you didn't know that's how I'm oh, going. Oh, that's how it's going. <laughs> Lizzie Daly traveling the world. <laughs> but I think this is the point where we really need to, we really need to latch on and let people know that that's the way to do it. It is not to say, how, how dare you? How dare you? No, 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 no. Because if you are in that privileged position where you can afford to take a train absolutely everywhere you go and you don't have to worry about time, you don't have to worry about when you book it, you don't have to worry about where you sit, you don't have to worry about getting your kids sorted or you know feeding your kids what you're going to feed them, da 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 But actually, if we let people know, you know what, in that moment in time, you can make a better choice. That, for me, is key. That is going to stop environmentalism and you know i don't think extinction rebellion did themselves many favors with the whole you know yoga in prison you know kind of thing it kind of separated them a little bit there and there are things as well i spoke to uh, robert llewellyn as in Crichton. i was speaking to Crichton. i was speaking to Crichton from red dwarf about nuclear power now robert llewellyn's a big big believer in electric and renewable energy of course and so am i but we both agreed that actually if we just went to nuclear power just for the moment, so we could stop coal immediately, we could stop carbon, just do nuclear power, just till we get to the point where renewables are ready to go, great, it would give us that gap. But again, if we do adhere to these very, very harsh tenants of environmentalism, these very, very harsh tenants of, no, no, you must take the train everywhere, you cannot possibly eat meat, that kind of thing then we lose more people than we gain on board. And it all comes down to, I think, a friendly face and, yeah. and, and a reality of saying, actually, you know, I'm, you know you're going to fly to Kenya, great. But along the way, you're going to, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking for you here, but along the way, you're going to consider you know, your, your pa- luggage, Lots you're going to say your packing, yeah. you know, yeah. how much plastics, or, you know, all those things. Mm. And that, I think, is the most important thing. Not just yelling, stop, mm. but saying, hello, how can we help? Yeah. No, I absolutely see your point. And actually, it's interesting how that is all linked because, you know, what will it take to make things like an easy, cheaper train journey 
be in place for people to want to take that train journey. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. and in, a, in a way, you know, rightly or wrongly, uh, movements I feel like Extinction Rebellion have created a little like uh, elbow in the side of our politicians and all the necessary people to make that movement. But you're right. It's now okay. Now everyone is starting to be more awake towards these issues. How are we going to push on together and actually? Make it easy and for the people because you're because you're right. And if you go to somewhere, you know we're very privileged here in the UK on an international level. If you go somewhere such as the Bahamas, they are not going to be vegans because they need to eat food and they will eat a basic diet of of meat and potatoes and rice or whatever something that's easy and cheap. And actually, that's where this issue of being privileged and, and being vegan kind of... I, I also um, struggle with some aspects of that because not everyone has that privilege to be able to make those choices. And you're, you're totally right. Avocados are expensive, but avocados are bad for the planet now anyway. I know. How dare they? D- damn you, avocados! <laughs> but, um, but yes, so to, to I suppose, to, to wrap all this beast up, you're right. You know, we are at a time now when... It's gone beyond the the ban the bomb and the save the world protests of Greenpeace in the seventies. You know we've we've gone past this kind of you know being an environmentalist, being conservationist is just for the hippies. We've now reached this stage where we have all this connectivity, we have all this media, we have this chance to find the one grain of badness in a whole heap of goodness, and vice versa to find that one grain of goodness in the whole heap of badness. And I think moving forwards. People like Extinction Rebellion, or maybe we let Extinction Rebellion do their thing and people like us act as we do what we do. You know, you and I, we're communicators. So maybe we need to help communicate what they're saying into people's lives, into what they can do, and just remind people that, you know, the earth, the honest truth is the earth, no matter what we do to it, will reset the dinosaurs. Absolutely. <laughs> the dinosaurs ruled the whole planet, knackered in minutes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> on a timeline of evolution. <laughs> but so we will. The Earth will reset. This is about us, and this is about finding that right balance, so that our climate crisis becomes. And I hate to say this, but almost a climate compromise, where we say, "Look, the work you're going to go and do in Kenya is only going to make this world better, and because of that, you're going to take a plane journey." Okay. How do I offset that? How do I change that? How do I make that bit of blackness a little bit of goodness and switch it from there? So there we go. If you had one thing to kind of tell the listeners, the one thing that you you would suggest for them to do to help with this issue of climate crisis, climate change, what would it be? One one nugget of advice. Nugget of goodness. Just make one small change every day. The, The longest journey starts with the smallest step. And it's the job that takes longest to get started is longest to get finished. So if every day you just go, you know what? I'm not going to buy a big bag of chicken dippers anymore. I'm actually just once a month going to get four really decent chicken breasts from the local farmer or the local farm shop. All right, they're going to cost more. But actually, it's it's the right move. Maybe you wake up and think, I'm going to finally dust the bike off and cycle to work. That's the key. It's not waking up tomorrow morning and going, right, everything changes and I'm, you know, eating sticks and drinking my own urine, you know, unless, of course, you, you unless, of course, you're Lizzie Daly. Uh, it's about saying, okay, I wake up today and I start compromising my life for the planet because once you start doing it, you realise that you're living just as good as you always did. Absolutely. Tiny steps, small habits in your day-to-day life. Couldn't agree more. So, Lizzie, same question to you. If you could say 
that little nugget of, of, of positivity mm. going forward, what would it be? And you've already touched on it, but travel. Travel is becoming more and more of a brain ache to me because I'm becoming more and more aware of it. And um, you mentioned my Instagram, so I'll refer to it again. But that's the one thing that I get a lot is, oh, but you're getting on a plane. And the one thing I will always say is, I am getting on a plane. If I can avoid getting on a plane, I will try my best. Um, otherwise, I have to think of ways to offset that. And if you are going to work, and as you, you're totally right, Tom, it's like one day if you just have the bike and you can cycle. It's your daily habit. And when you're traveling around, we're constantly on the move right now as a society. We're buzzing about from everyone. That's kind of why I like london in a way because they use this such efficient system on the tube which has its own problems uh, but everyone walks or everyone gets the tube here in here in bristol here in cardiff every everyone drives everybody drives and uh, when i'm in a car i always see mostly one or two people in a whole car with free seats um if you haven't heard of it pasty connection pasty pasty connection oh my gosh and kudos to whoever invented this it's a facebook group that i was part of when i was studying down in cornwall and what you do you jump on facebook you type in anyone going from falmouth to bristol this day and someone will say yeah i've got a free car hop in chuck them a fiver and all of a sudden you've got a whole car of students filling in one car instead of a paying however much for a really expensive train or b taking their own vehicle and it works and it's become this whole giant where all these students all these people are going back and forth huge distance sharing cars it's brilliant um the rock metal radio station that i do a lot of stuff for as well i'm their environmental consultant oh, and, and even, I even do a radio show and a podcast for them but that's another that's another story uh we looked at the climate impacts of rock and metal gigs so you know things like download donnington the biggest impact people getting there really of all of it not the waste on site not the cost of running the site not the carbon impact of having the generators to make the guitars go boom it was the, wow. the the biggest impact was people getting there. So the first thing we decided at our AGM this year was that for Primordial Radio, we would develop a ride-sharing app so people could say, anyone going to download? Yes, I am. I'm in your area. I'll pick you up. Brilliant. There you go. Travel. And, but small steps, big difference. Anyway, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us once again for another fantastic, nay, amazing podcast here from Wake Up and Smell the Coffee. I have been Tom, the Blowfish Herd, and of course, as always, I've been Lizzie Daly. As opposed to anyone else. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time round. Bye! It's good, we're-